We started this series January 3rd, 2021. 2021. There have been, if I counted right, there have been 52 sermons preached by Grant, Josh, and myself. And today would mark the 52nd sermon. That's a year's worth, 52 weeks in a year, right? That's a year's worth of sermons with an added series here or there of summer, Christmas, Easter on top of those 52 weeks. We started this series online. Who remembers that? We started this series online when we still gathered in that way. We would comment on the sides, right? Who remembered that? You'd watch the side like, oh, they're at church today. They're at church today, right? We would do that. Uh, Can you even think back to that time? It feels like a lifetime ago, but also feels like yesterday sometimes. What was happening for you at that time? What What was going on in your life in January 2021? Now, I'm going to have you uh, think about that for a little bit, but we have been going through a year and a half of walking in this book. So today, we are going to reflect and remember that together. Grant, Josh, and I will each share a little bit of what really stood out to us about this series. So you will hear from each one of us. So truly, I hope you brought a snack because we might be here a little bit. You're like nervously laughing, right? That's okay. We know we're on a timer. It's fine. You'll be fine. But before I begin, I would like to bring up my good friend, Kate Keeley, who is going to share with us. We asked her to share a little bit of what stood out to her for this series. So would you welcome Kate, please? So Kate, you shared a little bit uh, with Grant, with me, about... What kind of stood out to you about this series, and what sermon in particular stood out with you? Would you share that this morning? So um, I think the thing you probably need to know about me is I'm a bit of a news junkie. Uh, I majored in journalism uh, and started my career as a news editor at the local newspaper. Um, So I love news. I'm addicted to it, and particularly Twitter. Any Twitter people out here? Anybody on Twitter? All right, good, okay, good. You know what I'm talking about. Nobody raised their hand. Um, so the, the sermon that really actually was a couple of sermons, but it was the sermons that were dealing with um, Jesus being in the temple in Jerusalem and being questioned by these different groups, among them the Sadducees. Um, there were all these groups coming at him with all kinds of questions, trying to trip him up, especially the Sadducees, right? They were armed with so much knowledge, um, and they were using that to create these wild hypotheticals in order to try to catch him, right, or embarrass him in front of everyone, discredit him. And while I was listening to Pastor Grant talk about this, I was thinking about Twitter. And I'm sure if any of you watch just regular news, you'll see it all the time, right? It's filled with lots of people that are driving their own agendas, that use the information that they have to try to win an argument more than actually make our lives better. Um, And I love information. The, The thing that attracted me to journalism in the first place is I love information because When you have information, uh, you can make better decisions. You can make informed decisions about your life. Um, And I love being able to be as self-sufficient as possible. Um, But what I'm noticing within the last two years um, in our our society uh, is that it's getting harder and harder to tell what the truth is. There's lots of people out there that are, like I said, taking information that they have and using it to drive their own agendas, to mislead people on purpose, to confuse them. What's worse is that, you know, this thing, Twitter, social media, 
which was really created to connect us and in some ways did some amazing things at the beginning in connecting people. Um, today, because of the way that you can be anonymous, you can create an account and just start putting whatever information you want out there. Um, there's other people that are just gobbling this information up and blasting it out to the world. You don't know who this person is. They're a stranger. They could be anywhere in the world. And I find this um, really unsettling, especially as someone who has a communications background and was trained in media literacy because if I'm having this much struggle trying to figure out what's true in the world, how do people who haven't actually gotten a degree about this been able to figure it out? How can you suss out the right information? Um, and it keeps bringing me back to the same thing that, you know, in 2,000 years from the time of the Sadducees to even now, we have so many advantages in our, in our society, technology, communication, information, right? I can pull up the internet right now and tell you anything you want to know about anything. Uh, with all of that, we still like foolishly think that we've got it figured out. Uh, but there's this disorientation. I love that sermon series because I just responded to it so well. Is that like everything just seems so chaotic and confusing and you can't put your trust or faith in anything, but you can, right? The thing that you can put your trust in is Jesus, God, the Bible. That's been the same for 2,000 years, right? That has always been the same. And we can foolishly think that we've got it figured out and we make all these advancements. But there becomes a point where, you know, we're like Icarus getting too close to the sun and we lose our way. Uh, I always have to kind of humble myself when I think I figured it out and bring it right back down to the truth. That's the thing that I can rest on. That's the thing that I have faith in and great comfort in is that when the whole world is so confusing, I can rest on that knowledge. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for sharing with us. Yeah, thank you. So truth and reminding ourselves to come back to it. Um, I asked you earlier to think where you were, if any of this has made any sort of impact on you and your life. And I said, can you think back to that time? And so uh, let me ask you a couple questions. Don't answer, but... You know, have you moved? Have you moved houses? Have you moved states? Have you, whatever it is, have you moved? Have you changed jobs? Start working, stopped working? What about friendships, relationships? What about some of you who have gained friends, lost friends? This is all stuff that has happened over the course of this sermon series in the book of Mark. And because it's life, correct? It's life. Um, has your family, whether you're a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, have you, have you welcomed life into this world? Have you lost life in this world? What's different and what has changed for you? As a church, as a church, we have experienced ups and downs during this time. There's been many of both. I remember one day when Grant, Josh, and I were sitting in teaching team having our meeting where we just felt the weight of all the things, especially Grant, especially him. We stopped everything we were doing in that moment, and we had to sit there and feel the weight of all those things in that moment. I also remember a different time in teaching team where 
You didn't even think we were having a meeting because it was full of laughter and joy as we planned for things to come. So when I sat in my office this last week and I looked over the sermons that I had uh, spoken about and really what stood out during this time, I can see that I've shared with you and shared experiences with you guys during the sermon series, right? My kids were full-time online schooling, right? They went from half days to full days to blah, 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 blah days, and now we're almost at the end of another school year. My goodness. And we shared that during the sermon series, I had some surgery for some intestinal issues, and, and man, it kicked the life out of me for, for a couple months. I didn't feel right. And I shared that, and some of you shared in that with me during this book of Mark. During this sermon series, I buried my mother. We started on January 3rd, and I buried my mother on January 19th. And I shared that with you, and you shared in that with me. So many things have occurred in this room during this time. And in the pages, I looked over and I looked over, and the sermon that really stood out to me is the one I titled, Back to Normal? Question mark. And in that sermon, it had marked the year since the pandemic began, and a lot of folks started saying, we're getting back to normal, we're getting back to normal, back to normal. And in that sermon, I reflected back on the pandemic and I said that we were a group on March 15th of 2020, we were a group of unsuspecting, unprepared bunch of people going about our daily lives completely unprepared about the changes that were rushing in. As a community, as a church, as a family, through the good, the bad, the heartbreaking, the nice, the exciting, the unexpected, we all have experienced change and I don't think we'll ever be the same. So back to normal? Normal isn't a thing anymore, I think. Normal isn't a thing anymore. And in this particular sermon, I looked at a group of men, unsuspecting, unqualified, unprepared for what they were about to experience in the next three years. A group of men who were called specifically to follow Jesus and became his apostles. Read this with me in Mark 3, verse 13. Jesus went up to the mountainside and called him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed that they might be with him and they might send, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to which he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them they, he gave the name Boenerges, which means son of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus made, Jesus made it clear at this point that he needed to build a team that he was not going to be on his mission alone. He needed teammates on his mission. Did these men know? Did they understand? Did they even comprehend a little bit of what was about to happen, what they were being called for? They had different backgrounds. They had different interests. They had different struggles. But the one thing that they have in common is that Jesus called them. And he calls these, guy by, these guys by name, an IRS agent, a guy who asked all the questions, a political radical, brothers who had violent tempers. These guys 
are the guys that Jesus is calling to preach and teach of love? These guys? A few more guys in the mix, and Jesus had his 12 apostles. Every one of these men had struggles, negative tendencies, so many shortcomings, but he called them. He wanted, in verse 14, it said the specific thing he called them to do was to be with him that he would send them out. He wanted to engage them. He wanted them to ask questions. He needed to have this intimate relationship with them so they could be changed and transformed. They would go through new territory together. Sound familiar? New territory together. Experience relationships with people. Experience ministry in a whole different way. Through seeking, through learning, they were changed. Were they perfect? Nope. They were unimpressive, unruly, unqualified, but they responded and they called him. And what happened? Never again would they return to normal. And never again would the world be normal. They were forever changed. And you and I have the same calling, my friends. We share the same calling, and that's probably why this is my favorite sermon out of these series, because you and I were called as unqualified, as unruly, as un-whatever we are. We are called to respond and engage. Do we qualify on our own? No way. No way. We all have bad habits, yes? We all have sins we struggle with, yes? We all have our own set of unqualifications. We cannot do it without him in us. We cannot. But by actively following and engage, engaging him and by actively participating in the work that it takes to transform in opportunities to follow and engage, in opportunities to join him, even through the unpredicted, even through the unplanned, even through the pandemic, even through the crazy lives we live, we have to engage, but we have to respond. We have to respond. We have to seek to be taught. We have to seek to be continually learning and challenged. Is that fun all the time? No. No, it is not. But God knows our strengths and our weaknesses. And God doesn't only shine through our, our strengths. He shines through our weaknesses. He shines through our weaknesses. When God made you and me, he made us disciples. And he knew that with him, we could be transformed even through the struggle and change. We have that in common with this group of men. We have that in common. He gave us the same calling. Follow me. Be with me. Engage me. Back to normal? Does anyone really want to return back to normal? Before your life in Christ? Does anyone really want to? Normal is not a thing since Jesus came to this earth to change everything. Amen? Amen. I hope, I hope, I hope you will feel forever changed and a little bit more every day. Engage him. I'm going to call up my friend Josh Koya. Thank you. 
yeah, it was, I'm just really excited about this um, opportunity, as Melody said, that we talked about having a chance to reflect a little bit um, on what's going on. And the cool thing about this is we didn't prepare together. We prepared individually, and it's just funny how much overlap there is in what Melody was saying and just, like, what really struck me and struck my heart in this time. Grant said, maybe it was this sermon series or it was one prior or something. I remember him telling me that when he prepares, when he gets ready, um, that the text hits him and cuts him and, and weighs on him way before he gets onto the stage. And there's so much truth to that. When we're processing through these texts and when we're planning where that weight really does kind of find its way into our heart and sometimes it's in a corrective way, right? And sometimes it's in rebuking, whatever it is. Um, but one of the things that just really struck me uh, as we were going through Mark was um, the fact that following this gospel, this life of Jesus, is, is one of those, um, man, it's just one of those things where, where you really, really, really get to get into the, the weeds of what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is about. And one of the things that I, um, sorry, my voice is still a little bit gone from this last week. Um, one of the things that as I was thinking through uh, this and what really struck me, it was this concept of kingdom. It was a concept that Jesus was doing something more than a lot of the people who were around him saw or expected. And as I was going through this, I was thinking about our, our faith and as we talk about what it means to, to be a Christ follower. And one of the things that we think of when we think of being a Christ follower is, is we think of the concept of sin. And sin, and we think of it in light of this, like the, there's this sin thing, the sin that we do. And so part of being Christian is trying to avoid that or, or at least deal with that. And those things are true, but I feel like it gives such a limited scope of what faith is about because it limits what we're focusing on. The other danger with this is it puts us into the center of the narrative. And as we're going through the Gospel of Mark, what I realize more than anything is that I need to look outside myself. That what Jesus was doing was beyond himself even. And we see this in the Gospel in starting in... Um, Chapter 2, very early on, chapter 2, verse 17, it says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not healthy who need a doctor, but sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. And Jesus was saying this in response to a bunch of people that were looking at him and, and not very excited with the company that he was keeping. Because he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and these unsavory people that he had no business being with. Because a man of his stature, a man of his uh, rapport should not be hanging out. And so Jesus, very early in his ministry, made a proclamation. And his proclamation was this. If you think this is about me, you're missing it. If you think what's going on here, what I'm about to do is all about me taking my role as king, me overthrowing the government, me doing all these things, you're missing it. There's something so much more than that. And we fast forward a couple of more chapters, 
And what we get to do, I said it over and over as, as we uh, were going through this, is that we really get to get in the trees of Jesus' life, and we get to see these things that he's doing. But one of the pitfalls of the church sometimes is kind of the culture of what would Jesus do? How many of you have ever seen, like, the statement, what would Jesus do? Bracelet, it's on, right? It's everywhere. And it was what, what I was raised on, or not raised on, what I started becoming a Christian in. But what I realized with the what would Jesus do movement is the focus sometimes is so on action. Is this the right action? Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right choice? And, and what I think when you get an opportunity to walk through the gospel that's more important than that is not focusing on what Jesus did because he had a specific mission, a specific purpose. He was also God. So instead, when we look at the life of Jesus, we get an opportunity to say, what was Jesus about? What, what did he care about? What was his heart? How did he posture himself? And we see that in this first interaction where he's hanging out with these people, and it screams out grace and mercy and humility and being inclusive. And so we get direction. And we go on and we scope out and look at even a bigger picture of what Jesus is saying. In verse 23 of chapter 4, it says, If anyone has ears, let them hear. So this was a sermon I preached, and, and it was three parables. Um, and parables are great to preach on, you know, because they're very clear and understandable and all that. So I was preaching on these three parables. And, and Jesus, at the end of the first one, says, If anyone has ears, let them hear. He's saying, All of you who are around me listening, listening, because what's coming up next is very, very important. And what he brought up was not the proper church structure. It was not the proper way to uh, build a church or, or create program. What he brought up next was explaining the kingdom of God. In verse 30, it says, again, he said, what shall, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. And yet planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches, the birds can perch in its shade. So this sermon that I did uh, uh, finished up on this part. And I was talking about the reality of the kingdom of God. How the kingdom of God provides things. And it provides a way to rest. It provides protection. It provides direction and, and these amazing things in the kingdom of God. And just last week, we celebrated Easter. We came here and we were proclaimed one of the most important truths in the world, and that is he is risen. And we proclaim that truth. And what I want for you guys more than anything, as I say that, I mean, this is what I want for me more than anything is that when we say he is risen, we aren't thinking about, okay, my sin, it's taken care of. Now, that's a part of it, and that's an important, beautiful part of it. But my hope is that we're proclaiming it with joy because he is risen didn't just deal with my sin, but it allowed me to experience the kingdom of God now. Because as some of you know my story, there was a time where the church had to hold me like the branch where the church had to protect me, where the church gave guidance to me. And by church, I don't mean building or program or youth group. I mean people, as Melody said, imperfect people. 
who if you looked at them individually, you'll be like, yeah, they're kind of missing the boat on some stuff, Josh. is like, absolutely. If you said, what would Jesus do? They probably did some things that weren't, wouldn't be what Jesus did, right? But they were about what Jesus was about. And they showed me grace and mercy and love and inclusion. And because of that, I experienced in a tangible way the kingdom of God. And that was really important in my life. But it wasn't nearly as important as when I realized that I don't get to just experience the kingdom of God. But I can participate in the kingdom of God. So this is my hope for us as a church, my hope for me is that we take seriously the opportunity that we have to participate in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God gives rest to people who are exhausted, gives sustenance to people who are starving, and gives hope to the hopeless. And in the midst of all of our insecurities, all the things that we mess up, all the ways that we fall short, God saw fit to bring us into that mission, to use us in those moments. And that's one of the most amazing things that I saw throughout this is the reality that we don't just look forward to the kingdom of God. But we can experience now, it, we can experience it now, and we can tangibly participate in it for the benefit of other people. So with that, I'm going to bring up Grant. Actually, I've been really sick this week, so I'm wearing a mask. Uh, many of us, who got sick this week, this past week? There's a few, yeah, I don't know what happened, man. I have not been sick since 2019, December 2019. It shocked me, you know, it's like, wow. So uh, if I lose my voice too, please bear with me, forgive me. I am an imperfect person like the rest of us, right? Um, thank you, uh, Kate. Where's Kate? Kaylee, thank you so much for sharing. Really appreciate that in your heart. You know, that's one of the kind of measures if, if, if this stuff that we're doing is, um, is it helpful? Like, are we discussing the things that this, this community is experiencing in the Word of God? That's really, really important. And the wonderful thing is we've had lots of conversations with people for whom uh, these uh, messages have actually connected with real life. And that's really a positive thing. So thanks for uh, being willing. Because I asked Kate, would you share? And, and she was like... Very quickly said yes, so thanks for stepping up. Uh, thanks for Josh and Melody as well, sharing your heart in Mark. And uh, I've been reflecting all week uh, in my sick bed, which is hard. You know when you've got your fuzzy head, you can barely think straight. I was just like, oh, Lord, what am I going to say? And I thought, well, a good idea might be go right back to the beginning again. As Melody mentioned, January 3rd was the very first Sunday that we entered into this journey uh, for Mark. So I went back and I I flick through in the mighty tome of sermons that I keep in my office. It's like a big scroll. And uh, I went back to that page. And, and I was quite surprised because I looked at the very first point that I made on the very first day of talking about Mark. And it was the rationale for, for doing Mark. And it was this. And if you were here last Sunday on Easter, this may ring a bell for you. Because we said that we're doing this because it's, it, it, it consists of taking the next faithful step. 
Okay? Those exact words. Take the next faithful step. And back then, it was because we had been in First Peter. And I thought, well, it'd be good to go in the gospel because we really need to hear about Jesus right now because things are difficult. And we'd just done a, a, the letter of First Peter. And Mark, it is believed, is the one who recorded Peter's recollections of Jesus. So it seemed like a, a very, you know, procedural way of taking a faithful next step. Well, the message last Sunday, the very last point of the message last Sunday was take a next faithful step. Because these women were at the tomb and they had come because Jesus had been crucified and he had died and he was dead and buried. So what did they do in the midst of the fear, the doubt, the anxiety? They came and took the next faithful step, bringing perfume to anoint the body. Even though they said, who on earth will roll the stone away from the tomb? But they showed up. And I thought that was quite remarkable that it began with this, we're taking a faithful step in seeking to know Jesus better, and it ended with, let's step out faithfully to whatever's next, like these women did. And back in 2021, in January, it was crazy. I don't know if you remember, but actually, the coronavirus situation was the worst it had been for the entire time of the pandemic. We were on the end part of a very contested election with all kinds of craziness happening. I think many of us were utterly fatigued from all that was happening. Challenges were all around us. And it reminded me again of these women on that day, on that Sunday morning, with very little direction, no living voice of Jesus there for them. And they went to the tomb to seek to take this next step. Who met them there? An angel met them there. And what did the angel say? The angel said, you're looking for Jesus. That is, that is right. He is not here. He is not in the place of the dead. He has gone to Galilee. He will meet you there. So they traveled forward into what was next. The other thing I looked at was um, my water bottle. <laughs> Thanks, Rana. Was um, how did the gospel begin? I think it's really important, even in our lives, to think about origins and history and our story. And so we're going to just take a quick look at how did Mark begin his gospel? Because often in, in any kind of writing, that's where you find just the purpose. This is what it's all about. And here's how Mark started his gospel. He said, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Clear clarity, the beginning of the good news about Jesus. Let me ask you a question. In the midst of so much bad news, has anyone had any good news this week? So raise your hand if you've had good news this week, and then I'll shout it out. Yeah. Got a promotion at your job. Awesome. Anyone else good news? More good news? Vicky. Excellent. Get together with friends. My dad finally was declared free of infection and his blood. He's been in hospital for four months. Anyone else? Good news? Fantastic. Yeah, Terry's had a granddaughter who's been had this really, really challenging journey with, with a cancer, right? So that's fantastic news. Okay, so what do all these things have in common? And it is, it is a circumstance, right? And that's wonderful. Well, Mark's good news is different. Mark's good news is not about a circumstance. It's about a person, right? A person. 
It's about Jesus Christ. So that's what we started this message, this sermon series off. The whole time we've been saying, this is Jesus. And what we wanted to do is to discover a more fully rounded version of who Jesus actually is. And so all the way through, we have sought to gain from Mark's insight a full rounded picture of who Jesus is. And he told us so many things about this man, Jesus, by the names that he used, by the things that Jesus talked about of who he claimed to be and of who from other people's lips they declared him to be. Uh, This is Jesus. This is the central hope uh, for this whole journey we've been on. Uh, He is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He is the God who came to visit his people in the midst of their sorrow and their suffering. He is the one who conquers death. He is the one who is fully experienced, whilst remaining God, fully experienced what it means to be human, like us. God has been inhabited our skin and experienced fully uh, what it means to be human. He's Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus, the Son of Man. He is the one who will teach a willing student we have seen everything that they need to know about what it means to live a fully human life, to live in truth and righteousness. He is Jesus, the teacher and the rabbi. He is the one who challenges injustice, and he calls us to join him in that movement, a humble movement of peace in the midst of strife. He's the one who comes and turns over the tables, but yet he's the one who will meet in honesty with one of the leading men of Jerusalem face to face and call him to love of God and love of neighbor out of the chaos of political and religious life in that time. He is the one who calls the poor and the marginalized blessed and warns the powerful to humble themselves. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the one who was insulted and mocked and ridiculed and who therefore stands with every person who endures such struggle. Jesus the Nazarene. This is Jesus, the crucified one. So the one, as we saw on Good Friday, the one who will now empathize with everyone who finds themselves abandoned and lost, the one who cried out at the height of their time on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And ever will be the friend of those who feel forsaken. He is the one whose victory over death tells us that God is faithful because he is Jesus, the risen one. This is Jesus who has given us new community, and that declares a welcome and a hospitality to every person, no matter who they are or what they have done. This is Jesus. And this is Jesus, praise God, who is building us in our community, not by our own wisdom or power, because as Melody said, we are flawed. We are not by any means perfect, but by his work among us in our hearts and minds, our relationships, our understanding. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the whole point. If we gain anything from this time, it's the simple truth that a little child can understand that there is a God who loves us, and in Christ, his love led him to action for us on our behalf. The other thing that I said on that first one is that just as Mark's gospel unfolds the story over time, this good news, not only is the good news a person, but the good news is progressive. We, re- we had a revelation, an unfolding, a greater de- a degree of understanding as we went on. Because he says this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus. 
And I want to just remind us that we are still experiencing the progression of this good news now, here, still, in the most personal of ways that Jesus has come off of the page and into the streets, into our lives, our homes, our schools, our parks, our concert halls, our prisons, our hospitals, our lives. And so just, you have questions, so do I. You have some doubts, so do I. This is the second week of Easter. Isn't it weird to say that? Most Protestant churches don't do the church calendar at all. We just go like, Easter, woohoo, and then normal, <laughs> right? This is actually under the church calendar, which has been used for thousands of years by thousands of Christians. This is called the second Sunday of Easter. And here's the text that people always read is this, that Jesus, a week after he rose, well, the, the disciples were together, and they were concerned of what's happening. And Thomas had missed the original connection, seeing Jesus. And he was there and saying, I will not believe until I touch his flesh and I see. And suddenly Jesus was among them. And he said, it is I, Thomas. Touch, feel, believe. Blessed are you who believe because you see. Even more blessed are those who don't see yet believe. What is the next faithful step for us? Given that this story is continuous, it has not stopped. We just don't have Christmas and Easter as the highlights and the rest is normal life. Jesus is with us every day. What is the question that you need to ask as the next faithful step? Lord, lead me deeper into this relationship with you. Show me, open my eyes. I want to see you. We are in the story. This is our story. This is Jesus. And we're going to put hands and feet to it right now. If you have your communion cup, which once again I left over there, I'm going to, no, I'm not going to steal Ben's, that's not fair. I'm stealing Rana's. If you do not have one of these and you would like to join us in communion, please raise your hand and someone will bring you one of these little cups, I hope. Thank you, Aaron. You know, being sick on Thursday... It's kind of what I needed for this because I could come at Easter feeling all victorious and, and, and being all healthy and being like, I can do this. We did it. That was great. But I had this real humbling experience of just being laid low. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, I need you. And as Melody said, how much does he use us in our weakness? That is significantly different from everything our world tells us. Right? Because if strength equals power in the kingdom of God, then the more frail you become, the less useful you become, right? It's almost the opposite. You know, someone once told me, a very elderly person said, like, all I can really do now is pray. And together we understood that that's actually the most significant thing anyone can ever do, to have that fool giving himself over simply to prayer. It's powerful. This is exciting that we're all here, the second Sunday of Easter, and we have this cup and this bread. And what we're doing here is, again, enacting that day, which we did enact here in this room last Thursday. And some of you were here, and some of you were not here, but spiritually, all who seek to follow Jesus Christ were and are and ever will be here at this moment invited to the table. 
one in unity with all who have called out on the name of Jesus, those who were called by Christ to follow him, those who then entered into the kingdom. Who is it that gave his body for us that in his death we might gain life? It is Jesus who did this for us. Let's take the bread. And who is it that gave his blood that we might find ourselves forgiven and free in a new relationship with our creator and with one another and with all of creation? It is Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you're not contained in the pages of a book. Lord Jesus, you are alive. You are living power in this world. Help us to discern your presence in our lives. And Lord, when we feel like we're walking in the darkness, may you shine a light for us to guide us. Lord, may we find ourselves more and more increasingly becoming answers to prayer for one another and for the people in our community that indeed are seeking, who have recognized that so much in this world is fragile, is not capable of supporting them, and they need something fresh, something new. Thank you, Lord, that you're redeeming what actually is, not what should be. And thank you that you are a God of new beginnings. May this second Sunday of Easter lead into what comes next, that we might take the next faithful step, even if it's simply a quiet plea to know you better, to receive you more fully into our lives. For we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.